Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 33 ah, of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. You got a problem with that? I don't. We have an unusual episode planned for today, and like all episodes of The Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your opinions, your solutions, your questions, whatever. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can always listen to us there too, or on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today, for the you part, we have follow-up on my rant about the Pledge of Allegiance back in episode 31. I have a charge of corporate hypocrisy leveled against me. We'll see about that. And time willing, we want to find out about videographers that push the limits. After that, part two is all about them, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase those political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today... Oh dear. On the way over here, he had a, a car accident and crashed into a deer. He's okay. The deer is not. The car is not. And we are not because he's not here. But, hey, I'm a Toastmaster. I can handle this. I think this is the third time we've had a guest uh, cancel on us at the last second. And I'll hold off on what we're going to be doing to fill in for the guest because I want to talk about part three the me part, where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk, because I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. And today's rant, it's about libertarian humor, and there's no air quotes around that. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, we will be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today, we have Kate Conti, a member of the Doylestown Toastmasters Club in, you guessed it, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Kate. Thanks, Ken. I have to ask, I ask everybody, what do you like best about being a Toastmaster? What I like best about being a Toastmaster? That's such a difficult question because there's so many things to love. I love the camaraderie, but the thing that I love the most is listening to the stories, the prepared speeches. Uh We'll talk a little more about that later, I think. Yeah, you're giving away my shtick here. That's okay. (laughs) Well, good to have you here. Thanks, Ken. We also have a second Toastmaster with us today, as is a recent tradition. Somebody's going to help us read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in the discussion with our guest. Wait till you see who our guest is going to be. The role we call it cohort, and today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project. She was our cohort in episode 29, about a month or so ago, and she was narrator way back in episode 16. And of course, she's a Toastmaster too, and a member of the ETS Toastmasters, one of my clubs, Margaret Sassuni. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Margaret. Thank you, Ken. I missed you so much. I had to come back again. Like a toothache. No, Not really. No. What, why do you like coming back? You were very nervous the first time. I was, but I think I'm over it. I got over the nervousness of being in a studio and everybody looking in at me. Uh-huh. Toastmasters <laughs> helped you with that? Yes. Yeah, it always does. I'm looking for an audience, but there's no audience. Well, we got our producer over there and he's making faces at us. 
we pick on him. I'll be picking on him later tonight, too. But I'm glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You helped save the day, too. What do you see? All right, let's dig into the mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What have we got, Margaret? Gary D. Dozen writes, he's from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I could do without either the pledge or the creed. Long ago, back in high school, I woke up and realized that the pledge was a loath, loyalty oath and the requirement that I recite in an affront to my honor. So I stopped saying it while I continue, while continuing to go through enough of the motions to avoid attracting too much attention. Wise when people are giving the Pledge of Allegiance. You don't want to attract attention. As for my position on the creed, I can best ex- explain my position in the context of my religious background. I grew up in a religious tradition which eschewed me any form of creed preferring that individuals come to their own conclusion through study and discussion. The idea being that any such creed is bound to be flawed and less personal. Mm -hmm. I believe the same principle should apply here. Inform people about how America works and doesn't work, and let them study the facts and the history for themselves, and let them come to their own conclusions about what they believe. Amen, Gary. There's nothing I would want to add or subtract to your summation there because if, if I won't insult you by saying it, I think you have an excellent creed there. And to give some of the listeners uh, some background, back in episode 31, I did a rant about the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'm certainly not going to repeat everything I said about it. You can go listen to the end of episode 31 if you're interested. But what I did was I walked through the pledge word by word and explored the plain meaning of what it says about how contradictory it is, how offensive it is, and why I have not pledged allegiance in almost 20 years. I'm going to skip all that. But there's one thing I don't want to skip because the point of the whole rant was that we should have a replacement for the Pledge of Allegiance. It's something called the American's Creed. The American's Creed was written in 1917 by William Tyler Page, clerk of the House of Representatives. They had a contest to find out who could write the best pledge back in the day. And it's a great, great job because the creed that Page wrote, it avoids virtually all the pitfalls in the Pledge of Allegiance that I was ranting about a couple of episodes ago. But I don't want you to take my word for it because I'm not going to skip over this part. I want you to hear it for yourself if you missed it before. Margaret, will you please do us a favor and read the American's Creed? I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed, a democracy in a republic, a sovereign nation of many sovereign states, a perfect union, one and inseparable, established upon those principles of freedom, equality, justice, and humanity, for which American patriots sacrifice their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it, to support its constitution, to obey its laws, to respect its flag, and to defend it against all enemies. Yep. So what do you think? Much better? Yes. I I love this. Uh, I don't know if you know about this, uh, Ken, but I wasn't born in the United States. I was born in the country of Georgia. And uh, as a child, my parents traveled to many countries, and I learned to assimilate within those countries 
But as an adult, I realized there's no country better than America. So I'll get up there and I'll say the American's Creed anytime. Uh-huh. You know, in part of Gary's Creed there, he says he thinks that be something here. You should inform people about how America works. And that's just what this thing does. It goes into all the details. And it does it without being nasty about it. The only one is one and inseparable. It's not. We're a republic. But I guess that's understandable to put that in there because he was born right around the Civil War. So it's probably still fresh in his mind, just like the Vietnam War and Operation Desert Storm and everything like that is probably fresh in everybody else's mind. Oh, excuse me, not the Civil War, the war between the states. I got to get that right. In any case, Gary, thank you for giving me a reason to read the American's Creed again. Time to retire the pledge, in my opinion, and bring in a reliever. Sounds good. What else we got? Ralph (coughs) McKittrick from Sladington, Pennsylvania writes, I have two things to say about your anti-corporation rant last week. (laughs) First, Only two. First, aren't you being hypocritical when you condemn corporatism, yet the Pennsylvania Project is sponsored by corporations? If you're so dead set against corps, how can you take their money? And second, as much as I I may feign, find them hypocritical, thanks for live streaming your rants on your Facebook page. I mentioned before how hard it is to get to WWDB signal up here in Sladington, but Service Electric gets Facebook up here loud and clear. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad to hear you like that Facebook live streaming. I have no idea why we didn't start doing it sooner. I think I'll blame our producer, Mark. That's his job, to get blamed for everything. But on the positive side, uh, we're also going to be starting up a new feature, I hear, here on the Pennsylvania Project. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because after each show, we always wind up sitting around in the studio, shooting the breeze, me, the guest, Toastmaster Narrator and Cohort. And Margaret, you remember it from before. Yes. And we just go on and we shoot the breeze for a couple minutes. Okay. And, lot, and have the listeners listen in on it? Yeah. But mm. a lot of times it's more interesting than what goes on the air. No, not true. <laughs> it's usually pretty good. But we're thinking of getting that part out to the world, too. I don't know what we're going to call it. I the, like it. The Post-Pennsylvania Project or M- something like that. Maybe we can have uh, your listeners chime in on what we should call it. Uh, yeah. Well, we're always open to suggestions. But we're still working out the details because it's question of studio time and distribution time and are we going to live stream it i don't know stay tuned we'll get back to that anyway that's second half of ralph's question coming back to the corporate question ralph you are correct there's definitely an element of hypocrisy to it all but you know to be honest it's a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of a situation because it's the same lawyers who gave us those corporations as i mentioned in my rant back in episode 32 they also gave us a bunch of other bad laws. And one of the one of the bad ones is the punitive damages. You know, like the woman who spilled McDonald's coffee on her lap and she wound up winning millions of dollars because it was hot coffee. Well, duh. I remember yeah. that one. Man, oh man. That's almost apocryphal, that story. But I got another one that's, that's similar. It's a lot closer to home and it's bluntly true because I had a relative who tripped over a broom in a department store. She wasn't hurt or anything, you know, nothing serious, just fell down. But right off the bat, she says, I'm going to sue. And I said, why? Because you weren't watching where you put your big feet? And she didn't didn't respond to my snarky sarcasm, smart move on her part. But you know what? 
She sued anyway, and she won $10,000 for not、What? watching where she put her big feet. That's crazy. It is. She had this ticket to the legal lottery, and she, and she won. Anyway, I, background story, because coming back to the question of hypocrisy, this is the 33rd episode of the Pennsylvania Project, and I've stepped on some very large toes in those preceding 32, such as talking about our racist court system. Our murderous police forces, not to mention corporatism itself. But you know, under our arcane legal system, I'll bet there's something somewhere back in those 32 preceding episodes that some judge somewhere can be convinced that it's not politically correct enough for him or her. Take, for example, my guest in episode 24, Konstantin Davinsky. He's a firearms manufacturer. It, You're nodding your head. You were here for him? Yes, I heard him. Oh, that was great.、Mm-hmm. He was here with a fully automatic AR 15. His、yep. company makes them for the police force. Really, really cool. You know, it's funny because even the station engineers wanted to get out here and hold the thing. Well, getting to the point, all it would take is one slip of the finger with that gun or one slip of the tongue with the microphone, and here comes the lawsuit. There goes my house. There goes my car. There goes all my life savings. Paying hundreds of dollars an hour to a lawyer who's not worth hundreds of dollars an hour, in my opinion. See, now the lawyers like me too. But, but, since it's a corporation sponsoring the show, all anyone can do is attack the corporation, not innocent old Ken. My only crime is telling the truth and solving the correct problem. So, the bottom line is, I'm using, yes, I'm using their manufactured legal loopholes to defend my right to free speech. Ralphie, it's self preservation, 21st century style. And we have the lawyers to thank. Let's see. Up,、oh, do you know? We've got another one from no, Bob Small. Bob's going to have to wait. All right. We're coming to that point because we got to get it moving along. And on that legalistic note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 33. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we will be visiting with today's guest. Wait to hear who it is. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed. Available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, Juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. 
Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website at PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's at the top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it too, your neighbors and your coworkers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. Too true. And well, well done. I like what you leaned into that. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 33 of the Pennsylvania Project where we usually host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned, our guest is not missing in action. I guess we know where he's at, but it's the action that got him. He crashed into a deer. I don't know what time of year it is for you, but it is rutting season right now, and the deer are just everywhere, including in front of his bumper. So he didn't make it today. So we got no guest. That's okay. (laughs) You don't have to do. In the past, what I've done is I've gone on in detail about something. I remember I did one about bathrooms, and that was back in episode nine. I was my own guest and spent the whole half hour talking about multisexual bathrooms and things like that. Mm. That was a pretty good episode. There's another one where I talked about my novel, Atlas Snubbed. We missed a guest in episode 12. And... I had those things on tap because it wasn't the moment of the show starting that the guest was missing. The guest bowed out on maybe two days in advance. So I was able to put something together. We couldn't get another guest. Most of the time we can get another guest, but wasn't able to that time. But today we walk into the studio and my there's my producer again. And he says, sorry, Ken, no guest. But as I said, top of the show, hey, I'm a Toastmaster. I can handle this. It's not just me. I'm surrounded by two lovely lady Toastmasters. And I thought, boy, let's put it into gear. We can do this. We can do this. We don't need a guest. We We are the guest. We are. We rock. We rock. (laughs) Yes. We're Toastmasters. So what we're going to do for the next two segments, we're going to talk about Toastmasters, what it is, what it does, and some of the fun. And I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that because otherwise I'll start giving away some of the things that are going on. I will start off with the Toastmasters by just giving a a brief introduction, a little bit of the history. 
Toastmasters is, is an international organization whose mission is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. It was founded way back in 1924 by Ralph Smedley in California. I'm thinking it's Santa Clara, but I'm not 100% certain. He would meet at a YMCA there, first club. And then he started spreading around, started duplicating it to other clubs. And in all those years, how long has that been? 95 years? It is spread around the planet. There are currently over 350,000 Toastmasters in over 13,000 clubs in just about every country around the globe. What a success story. And, you know, we don't advertise or anything. We are a self-help group. So we run ourselves. It's all done by volunteers. Nobody gets paid to do this. What we do is we just help each other to become better speakers, better leaders. It absolutely changed my life. I've mentioned this before. I used to get asthma attacks if I tried to speak in public. And now look at me. Now I'm on the radio. And that'll be coming up, as, as I mentioned, in the, one of the commercials we do all the time. I had butterflies in my stomach. And what did you have in your stomach? I almost fainted the first time I spoke <laughs> in front and of 600 people. Yep. You had pterodactyls. <laughs> That's right. Pterodactyls. I had an article published in the Toastmaster magazine. It was They wanted to call it Taming the Wild Creature Within. I wanted to call it uh, From Pterodactyls to Television. <laughs> television spelled P-T-E-L-E. Because that's what happened. That definitely changed my life. How did it do it? How did that happen? Well, we have meetings. Like I said, there are about 13,000 clubs around the globe, and they all do pretty much the same thing. Meetings are divided, generally speaking, Kate, before you correct <laughs> me, into two parts. First part are speeches. Some are impromptu. Some are prepared. Second part are evaluations of those speeches. And they're always done in a very positive manner. So you're not going to hear something like, oh, Kate, that speech sucked. It's going to be more like, well, Kate, Kate, the speech was good, but it would have been more effective if you hadn't fainted in the middle of it. <laughs> Actually, Ken, we use the Oreo method in my club. And if you think about an Oreo cookie, it has the chocolate cookie on the top and the chocolate cookie on the bottom and that cream filling in the center. Well, we start with something positive. All the things you're already doing really well. Mm -hmm. And then we offer the cream filling, which is things that could be improved. And we give more hints to more experienced speakers, uh -huh. less hints to the newbies. And then we finish off with another crispy chocolate cookie at the bottom with a lot of wrap-up that's all positive. You know, it's funny you should use that analogy because I like the middle part of the Oreo best. I love the cookie. And I, I love the suggestions for improvement best. And I love the positive statements uh, I, I know what I'm doing right. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Otherwise, I can't improve myself. Well, that is true. You learn more from the feedback. Well, so... The, Meetings are divided into those, those two parts. And like I said, we have prepared speakers, impromptu speakers, and the evaluations. And uh, I'll save some of the speaking of the evaluations because I want to ask, we'll start with you, Kate. What part of the meeting do you like best? Well, Ken, I love the speeches, the prepared speeches especially. Yeah. Because it's, there's an infinite variety of topics and life stories that I'm exposed to. So many different perspectives. They're motivational stories, inspirational stories. 
and you learn a lot while you're at it. Things so, you've never expected. So there's no limit on what you can talk about. There is no. Li- there actually, uh-huh. technically, is no limit to what you can talk about in Toastmasters. Uh-huh. Of course, you want to use common sense. You don't want to offend people. You have to know your audience. Uh-huh. But there is no technically no limit. I, I always say that if you can say it in front of your mother, it's okay to say it in front of a Toastmasters club. But some people say, you don't know my mom. <laughs> We did have some speeches that had to be screened, though, so not everything will fly. Yeah? Who does the screening? Who's, I've never heard of screening. Yeah, I've not never either. had a speech screened. The elder, <laughs> the more experienced Toastmasters. I don't know. Nobody's ever screened anything I said. And I started Toastmasters with political speeches. My second speech was about abortion, of all things. Mm. That's, uh, yeah. could be, that can be tricky. <laughs> it was, but I was practicing for a political appearance mm-hmm. and that's the nice thing about toastmasters is you can practice your prepared speeches you can practice that sort of stuff you can really make it whatever you want uh-huh and i'm about to do that i'm going to practice a five-part thing that's going to appear here on the pennsylvania project sometime in the near future it's about participatory democracy wow yeah. and that brings me to one of the other things that i love about the prepared speeches and that is that you learn so much mm-hmm. things you never expected to learn for instance recently at one of our meetings one of our members talked about how to succeed at investing. And previous to that, I thought I was an investment dummy, a financial <laughs> dummy. I mean, really and truly, I don't know what I'm doing. But I listened to his speech, and he inspired me. And I ran home, and I bought the book that he recommended, and I was able to clean up my investments and take control. <laughs> and now I feel like I'm not a complete dummy. I'm uh-huh. doing, and I keep checking, and I'm doing about as good as my previous investment advisors were doing. So, wow, there you go. So you never know what you're going to learn. You never know. You never know. Meeting. My Drexel Club is interesting because most of them are science majors, and you should hear some of the stuff that they talk about. Margaret, what do you like about? What's your favorite part of a Toastmasters meeting? Let's see. I like the table topics master table topics. What is part it? of it. What's the tabletop? Okay, let me tell you what it is. It is the part of the uh, meeting that takes place where the table topics master will ask you an impromptu question. They first go about it by asking for a volunteer or a victim, right? <laughs> yeah. So you volunteer, you raise your hand that you want to answer an impromptu question. You go up in front of the meeting and you get asked anything that the table topics master comes up with and you have about one to two minutes to answer it Mm -hmm. so it could be anything question like if you had a choice to have dinner with anybody living or dead who would it be what is the your favorite country to visit you know where if you had a million dollars how would you spend it Uh questions like that and i think a lot of people are frightened of this very portion, but if you have canned speeches or canned answers, I should say, in the back of your pocket, you can easily answer those questions because they, mm-hmm. they can be reoccurring. You know, if you think about it, what's your favorite vacation or what's your favorite country? That that should You could easily answer that in one to two minutes. Uh-huh. Do you know, Table Topics is the reason I joined Toastmasters because I wanted to get involved in politics and I wanted to learn how to get those cold mm-hmm. questions you know, Ken, what do you think about X? Well, X is a letter nobody uses a whole lot of. It's way down there at the end of the alphabet or whatever it is. I wanted to be able to, to practice that to make sure that I could do that. So I love table topics. That's why I joined Toastmasters. And you could use th- the canned responses that you learn during table topics at a 
in job interview. If they ask you a That's question right. that you can't answer, you can divert the question and, and you don't necessarily have to answer a question like, what is your religion, religious background? You don't have to answer that uh-huh. question. You can. You know, it's funny with Toastmasters, it's given me the confidence that I can actually turn that around. I'll ask the interviewer, I said, where do you see yourself in five years? Why do you work here? What do you like about here? If it's one thing I can take away from table topics is you don't have to answer anybody's question. Uh huh. Definitely true. Well, my favorite part of the Toastmasters meeting is, as I was just saying to Kate, of the evaluations. That's why I'm there because I, I just want to improve myself. And self-improvement is what it's all about. So the evaluation, and there are several evaluations. If you're a prepared speaker, you'll have a dedicated evaluator who will get up there and go into detail for several minutes about things you did right, your cookies, things where you could improve, your cream, and then I don't know. I don't evaluate like that. I just flow back and forth. I, I do like vanilla fudge ice cream where you, you know, you're know you eating the vanilla part, then all of a sudden there's fudge, and then there's a vanilla part again. That's okay as long as you start with the positive and end with the positive. Oh, of course. It's always positive. Right. You learn something new all the time. Right. But the evaluation that I really like, and it really struck home for me at my very first meeting, is the ah counter. Oh, I love that one. I love it too. There's somebody in the back of the room who's sitting there counting your verbal crutches. I know Mark is counting them right now. Um, Mine is you know. Ah, you know. You know. Like. Like. Mine and uh, my mentor, Jean Shippos, said this. She said, Ken, you say a lot, a lot. And I've been nailed, Mark has nailed me on the show here because I say good grief maybe two or three times a show. But Toastmasters makes you realize that. And my first meeting had brought that to light. In fact, my first meeting, I'm sitting there and I'm watching all this. And the ah counter gets up there and says, Kate, you had three ums. And Margaret, you have four ahs. And this one lady, Patricia, Pat, you had 36 ums. And the room room burst into (laughs) applause. Now, me, it's my first meeting. I whacked the person next to me on the arm. I said, what's the deal? What's going on here? He says, last meeting, she had 50. (laughs) That's improvement. That's how supportive that we are here and Toastmasters. Absolutely. My guests today are two impromptu speaker Toastmasters, Mm. Kate and Margaret. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm your caster, Mm -hmm. Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back with more Toastmasters after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WEAVE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Wheel Tattoo Club. Hey, Margaret Sassuni here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you, competent leader, effective communicates effectively? If not, 
or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. <laughs> so turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name, Margaret Susuni. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to, create, to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we're dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial. Helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC, member FINRA, backslash SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through the AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> Hey, Ken Korachuk here, and we're back with episode 33 of the Pennsylvania Project. And we're lacking our guest who crashed into a deer on his way over here. Oh, dear. So instead, we have shot from the hip. I'm sitting in a room with two other Toastmasters, and we have decided to dedicate this show to talking about Toastmasters. Earlier, we were talking about how meetings are run, history of Toastmasters, the prepared speeches, the impromptu speeches, the evaluations. There's a lot more to it than that. That's just the public speaking side because there's the leadership side, and that's really important because these clubs don't run themselves. You learn the importance of an agenda, the importance of advertising, the importance of managing your money. Every Toastmasters club has seven officer positions. And I guess I, I just mentioned real fast. President, there are four vice presidents, a vice president of education, a vice president of membership, a vice president of public relations, and three support people, treasurer, secretary, and sergeant at arms. Together, these seven people make sure that the club experience is everything that the members desire. Make sure there's, it's a welcoming learning experience. 
make sure that everybody who treat who arrives at that club is treated in a friendly, respectful manner. And I have served as every officer. I've been a Toastmaster now for just over 22 years, 8,048 days, I think, right around there, <laughs> a little over 8,000, not quite 8,100 days. And I've served at all the different things. And the ladies sitting around me, they've served in several of the officer roles too. That's right, Ken. Let's start with Kate. I'm going alphabetical here. Which, what was your favorite role as officer? Well, Ken, I've served as president, VP of education, and secretary. But my favorite, by far, is the president's role. Because you have all the control. <laughs> no. I was president of the ETS Toastmasters and a couple others. And back then, I was still brand new in Toastmasters, just a couple of years. And I found that the responsibility to make sure that things happen, like, all of a sudden, the guest is gone. You know, your prepared speaker's not there. What do you do? Well, that prepared me for what just happened today. That's right, Ken. These officers' roles, they're kind of a sly training ground, uh-huh. and they teach you how to operate in the real world uh-huh. when things go wrong. And each of these roles teaches you the leadership. So it's kind of an interesting, I think it's a little bit sly on the part of Toastmasters. They get us <laughs> to do all the work. Uh-huh. None of us are getting paid. That's right. But I love the president's role because, like I said, I feel like you have all the control. But you're right. You also have a lot of responsibility. That's right. You have the control. You can organize special events. You can have guest speakers. You can generate ideas for parties. Mm-hmm. But then you have to use your social intelligence to manage all of your other officers and keep them on track. Keep them encouraged. Keep them motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's a, a lot going on. I found the most challenging part of being president was defusing personality issues. You know, I didn't have a lot of that, You're but there fortunate. were times when one of the other officers was getting a little bogged down and I had to mm-hmm. inject some energy. Yep. But I've got energy, so that wasn't a problem. It sounds like you do. I get tired just listening to you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Margaret, what about you? What was your favorite officer position? Let's see, I started out as VP of membership, and then I became the VP of public relations, and eventually I made it to the presidency. Wow. But that doesn't mean that I liked that the best. I did like being the VP of membership the best, which was my introduction to being an officer in Toastmasters. And that is always a great role that I like to encourage new people to join because it's basically advertising for the club and getting other people that have never heard about it to join. For example, we had a wonderful Japanese man that joined who had a very tough time learning or speaking oh, English. Koski. Yes, uh-huh. and I, know him. I was the one who encouraged him to become the VP of membership, and he had so much hesitation, but then I finally was able to convince him to just to say, you know, just repeat the same things over and over again. You can tell them when the club meets and what are the hours and what the fees are. Well, the, actually, ETS pays for our fees. So all the, <laughs> the little information like that, that was on a template. And I just said, told him you have to just reiterate the same information. Mm-hmm. Well, you know where he is today with the club. Yeah, he I is know, phenomenal. phenomenal. And he thanks me for nudging him a little bit. And I, I have a long history of people who nudged me in different directions. Yes. And I mentioned Jean Shippos again. She's the one who convinced me to be president the first time. She's the one who taught me how to do table topics. 
She's the one who threatened to nail my feet to the floor if I didn't stop dancing. Yeah. It's that mentorship that you're talking exactly. about. Is, exactly. Is, and that's the gratifying part of it is when you give back. Yep. And to, comes, watch, to watch them grow. And watch them grow. And he's just amazing. I'm so proud of him mm-hmm. every time I see him. So that, that, that was my favorite officer role to date. Uh-huh. I haven't explored some of the other officers. I don't, I don't want to be a secretary or a treasurer, although I like money. <laughs> keeping track of money. I do that in my day-to-day, so I don't I didn't want to do it for the club. But the reason I joined Toastmasters was to you know, become more confident in speaking. I was, I was a nerd. I just wanted to sit back and code, and I figured that that's not going to cut it in life. I need to do other things, especially when I became an empty nester. I had to go out and do other things and keep myself occupied and busy and deal with people on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. You know, my wife and I celebrated when we became empty nesters. We reinforced the chandelier in the dining room. It was just great. Our lives were our own again. No. But I, <laughs> That's, but I digress. No. Reinforced yeah. the chandelier in the dining room? Yeah. You had a swing from the chandeliers? That's awesome, Ken. Okay. Yeah. Moving my on. wife is listening. She's like, no, you're saying that again. You know? Nothing's private in our lives, I guess. That's what happens when you're in politics. Now, my favorite role. I, like I said, I've, I've done them all, but hands down, my favorite is Sergeant at Arms, mm, which wow. by the way is the s- seventh ranking of the seven officers. But I like it because as our Sergeant at Arms, I am responsible for making it happen. I'm the one it's who true. reserves the room. I bring the, the banner, the Toastmasters banner. I have the manuals. I, I, if there's water for the guests or we got food coming, you, there you go. There's your, your, your food coming in, Margaret. Yeah. You yeah. wanted that? Yeah. We have free food. Sergeant at Arms is responsible for that, and they always start off the meeting, which is another thing I always liked. I never realized this, but I guess a lot of people depend on you for the setup work and the behind-the-scenes yeah. work. Yeah. Put the, and you it, can't be late. You got to no. arrive on time. You always and, know you have to be early. Always mm-hmm. have to be early to make sure these things happen, and that has prepared me so much for the business world. Because whenever mm-hmm. I host a meeting, I'm always there early because of that very Sergeant at Armsy approach to everything. Oh, we all have different approaches and um, different perspectives of which roles we like the best. Mm-hmm. I also like vice president of membership. I did that for the positively charged Toastmasters at Philadelphia Electric. I like that because if all of a sudden somebody's not coming, you get on the phone. Hey, Margaret, we haven't seen you in a couple of meetings. Where you? Where you been? You'd... Reel them back in. Yeah, pull yeah. them back in. I mean, life gets the best of us and work gets busy, but... You have to remind people that, hey, we're here. Mm-hmm. We want to hear you. Yep. And that's the best part of Toastmasters. We support each other. We mm-hmm. help each other. And look where it's gotten us. The three of us, we're all on the radio yeah. now. Judgment-free zone. Yes. Yes. And it's it's always done nicely. That's the best part. But it's not just the officers. And it's not just the meeting with the prepared and impromptu speeches. And it's not just the evaluations. Because it goes even far beyond that. And one of my favorite things are the contests. We have mm. speech contests twice a year. It used to be twice a year. They just cut it back to one. There are five different contests, and they don't always stage them all. There's one that's a tall tales contest where you get up there five to seven minutes, and you just tell, lie through your teeth. That's pretty <laughs> cool. My favorite one, table topics contest. In fact, my second year as a Toastmaster, I won at the highest level, the table topics contest. Ooh. There's a humorous speech contest, and I was hoping I was going to have time to do a humorous speech for you. It's called Stupid, 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 
But looking at the clock, I, we're not going to have time to do that. Maybe I'll do oh, that some bad. other time. Yeah, yeah, just for fun. Mm-hmm. There's also an evaluation contest where five or six, seven people all evaluate the same speaker and see who does the best job. But the big one is the International Speech Contest for the World Championship of Public Speaking. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been in all of them. I've won all of them except the World Championship. That's Mark, pretty impressive, Ken. Thank you. I have you people to blame. You're the ones who taught me. <laughs> hey, and these are all available on YouTube. So if people wanted to oh, yeah. see what an international contest speech sounded like, I encourage everyone to go out on YouTube and just look it up. Yeah. They're, they're just and, and you can see some of mine. blowing If you type in my last name and mm-hmm. stupid, stupid, stupid. Yeah. On, we'll yeah. see you too on YouTube. See, yeah. On, that's on Everything. YouTube. And there's, there's hundreds of them. Thousands. And the current reigning champ. World champion of public speaking is Aaron Beverly. From Philadelphia! He's a local guy, and he's come to our Drexel Club to speak. I invited him on as a guest, but he's got a 9-to-5 job. World mm-hmm. champion of public speaking, a 9-to-5 job. We all do. Yeah, that's a shame he's not going to make it. But his speech is on YouTube. Yeah, they're all there. It's and a surprising story. Unbelievable story. Well, the unbelievable part is he has beaten me in competition three times. You get to the second level, third level, and all of a sudden, there's Aaron. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) And he beats me, and he beats me again. I actually do strategic competing. I will go to a different area, a different division where Aaron's not competing. Just to avoid Aaron. Yeah, just to hope that he loses before he gets to me, but it's never happened. Now now he's world champion. He can't can't do it anymore. Of the world, yeah. Champion of the world. It's amazing. Mm. Think about all those countries. I think we have like 190 countries yeah, in the world. Yeah, uh, almost every country. I think we're missing Colombia and a couple others. There's hardly any. It's all over the world. Yeah. Over 13,000 clubs. So Aaron is the best of the world. Of wow. f- over almost 400,000 Toastmasters. And when you go to the international contest, you meet people from all over the world. That's right. And you know what? We can go on. And, you know, we have more to say. We have all sorts of things. Before we sat down, we said, all right, what's the show going to be about? We're Toastmasters. We can put it together. And there's still more that we could say about youth leadership, where we actually have Toastmasters for kids, gavel clubs, where we have Toastmasters in prisons. Maybe just give something to talk about at some future show. But right now, we're not going to have it. I'd like to thank my guests, impromptu guests, Margaret Sassuni and Kate Conti. Thank you. For backing me up now. And that's going to wrap it up for the them portion of the show. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Libertarian humor. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Kate, how's it going? Meh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax... I have better things to do with my time than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required federal and state taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. 
Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the March Towards Liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. (laughs) I like the way you do that. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 33 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Specifically, libertarian humor. What's funny about libertarians? Ah, Lots or nothing, depending upon the intent of the jokester, I find. You know, I took a look out on the web, and there were libertarian jokes all over the place. And I was trying to source these back to the original author, and it was just impossible. So pardon me if I miss crediting somebody who created these. But there's a mix of jokes. Some of them are actually accurate and funny. Like, for example, the definition of a libertarian salad, lettuce alone. (laughs) Cute. Or a takeoff on one of the old standards. How many libertarians does it take to change a light bulb? None. The free market will take care of it. Or I ran into one that I never heard before. What do libertarians call tic tacs? They call them ticks because they're against taxes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Some libertarian jokes are actually true stories that are accidentally funny. And I, let me give you two of them from my political history. This is a true story from my 1994 campaign for state representative. I was out knocking on doors asking for votes, and I ran into this one sweet little old lady. I said, hi, I'm a libertarian. And she smiled and said, that's nice. I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> well, of course, people now know who libertarians are, but a true story. And there's another one that I mentioned before, back when I was running for Pennsylvania governor during the Monica Lewinsky days, during some Q&A this wiseacre in the audience got up and said, yeah, I got a question for you. Do you cheat on your wife? <laughs> well, me, I was on my game that day and I didn't miss a beat. And I just said, not yet. What did you have in mind? <laughs> oh, Again, gosh. true story. My wife and I, we still laugh about that. And then there are the libertarian themed jokes that don't mention libertarians explicitly, but you can hear that libertarian echo loud and clear. Such as this one. What did socialists use before candles? Answer, electricity. Cute. And one from our regular contributor, Bernie McCann, about cops. Cops yelling at the kid, stop or I'll bam, shoot. Or the joke, uh, there's one, it's all over the web, about a guy in Washington, D.C., a mugger walks up to the guy with a ski, with, wearing a ski mask, jumps into the guy's path and says, give me your money. And the guy says, we can't do this to me. I'm a United States congressman. Well, in that case, said the robber, give me my money. Very very libertarian. Not very funny. But there's some that really stick in my craw because they misrepresent libertarianism. 
And the teller thinks that's funny, such as this one. Why did the chicken cross the road? The answer, what road? The implication being if there were libertarians, there were no roads. But that ignores the fact that in the days before government roads, private roads were widespread to meet the needs of society. There's a couple others I can get into, but the absolute worst ones are the ones that hold up a mirror to the Libertarian Party and show us for, us for what we really are. There's this one. What's the difference between a Libertarian wedding and a Libertarian funeral? One fewer opinion. <laughs> Ugh. Another one that's almost too brutally honest is how many Libertarians does it take to change a light bulb? None, because Libertarians try and try, but they can never change anything. Ouch, ouch. That's also not true. There's another joke, a little bit longer. It's a classic. Guy's walking home one night, and he sees a man standing on the edge of a bridge ready to jump. Wait, he yelled and ran over to see what was the matter. Oh, it's this country. It's falling into ruin, and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Oh, cheer up, the other guy said. We're all in this together. Well, what are you, a liberal or a conservative? No, no, I'm a libertarian, he said. Well, me too. Hey, see, you're not alone. Are you a free market libertarian or a libertarian socialist? Well, I'm a free market libertarian, he said. Oh, same here. Are you paleo-libertarian or neo-libertarian? Well, paleo-libertarian. Hey, so am I. Chicago or Austrian School of Economics? Austrian, he replied. Hey, me too. Hayekian or Rothbardian? Rothbardian. Hey, same as me. Consequentialist or deontological? Well, consequentialist, he said. Oh, yeah? Die, statist. And he pushed him off the bridge. That one is so true that I had to take a moment to draw a moral out of it. So pardon me if I air some dirty laundry in public about the Libertarian Party. Because you see, that attitude, ladies and gentlemen, has been an undercurrent in the Libertarian Party since I joined in 1993. And it's not just here in Pennsylvania. It's nationwide. I've seen good person after good person chased away by those metaphorical bridge pushers. People who push you away just because they disagree with you down at the seventh or eighth decimal place. And here it is, 26 years after I joined the party, the same nonsense is still going on. Who's doing this? What constitution-thumping freedom lover is responsible for chasing away other constitution-thumping freedom lovers? Well, I call them negatarians, saboteurs of the soul who sit on the sidelines and snipe, people who put their own pet peeves above the purpose of the party. There aren't many of them, fortunately, but the damage they could do can be immense. I had to mention this today because I got a call this week from one of our best Pennsylvania activists. He called to tell me he's quitting the party because he's had it with all the infighting, all the negatarians and all their negatarianism. When I heard that, I knew that today I had to at least say something publicly to somehow commemorate his political passing, more in sorrow than in anger, because we just lost another pillar of the party. He certainly solved his negatarian problem correctly, but I'm not sure he's solving the correct problem. What's the correct problem here? The problem is that we libertarians have the best message on the planet, liberty. But until we can somehow sideline these saboteurs of the soul, the planet will never get a chance to hear it. Sometimes we libertarians can be our own worst enemy, and that really, really sticks in my craw. 
So in the end, I guess the joke is on us, we libertarians. A self-manufactured libertarian joke. Maybe the two old parties have similar woes, I don't know. But I do know this. They say it ain't easy being green. They ought to try being a libertarian. On that negative note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 33 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about libertarian humor? About negatarians? About the Americans' Creed, First Amendment auditors, which we didn't talk about? Or all the alliteration in today's episode, because I love alliteration. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition to get the Constitution taught, that is. And you can hear us on PennsylvaniaProject.com, too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, a corporation, a hypocritical corporation, Recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley. Marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Featured Toastmaster narrator is Kate Conti. Featured Toastmaster cohort, Margaret Sassuni, and both of them are guests. Thank you very much, ladies. Thanks, Ken. Keyboard wizard in the background there, Joe the Pag. Radio producer, Brett Kronberger. Well done, grown hoop. Brett. He just went to his first Toastmasters meeting last week. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.